We're sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee. Today's guest on the Tales of Tennessee podcast runs a prolific and progressive artist management company based in the southwest of England. With notable success and multiple award nominations, she is powering her way through the industry, giving support and advice to artists across the UK and further afield. It is, of course, Rachel Selick, founder of Scarlet River Management. Thank you and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. That was such a nice introduction. Good. (laughs) So, Rachel, I might might be wrong, but I believe your background is science. Is that right? Yes, correct. So can you talk us through a little bit? How did you get involved in country music? Where where did that come from? Is that from your childhood? What was your childhood like? Where did where did this all start? Yeah, sure. So during my childhood, I mean, my dad is very, very musical. My mum is definitely not. Um, <laughs> um, so I kind of grew up around a lot of music, you know, going to gigs with my dad. Um, I also grew up in church and I was part of the worship team. So I was doing a bit of singing, things like that. Um, and funnily enough, I was at a rehearsal one evening and somebody was like just checking the PA speakers, making sure they worked, making sure they all sounded lovely. And a song came on and I was like, oh, this is a really cool song. But I didn't really understand the lyrical content. Um, and I found out that it was He Ain't the Leaving Kind by Rascal Flatts. So off the back of that, I kind of went home and I was like, oh, I love that band. So I'll go check them out. So I kind of YouTubed everything and I kind of ended up listening to a ton of Rascal Flatts stuff. Um, and then off the back of that, just through YouTube suggestions and things like that, came across Carrie Underwood and then figured that she was playing in London like the year after. And that was the first country to country festival. So I begged my dad to take me. I was like, we've got to go to this festival. Like I have to see Carrie Underwood. Um, and the same day, I think I saw Carrie Underwood. It was Leanne Rhymes, Brantley Gilbert, I think. And it was just such a, an awesome experience that, it was all sort, you know, it's, it was country music, but there were different types, it was, you know, a bit of country rock, but of the old traditional stuff, it was really, really great. And, and off the back of that, really, I was just, that was all it listened to. Yeah. Um, it was always country music. Um, and I was, yeah, at the time I was just starting university. Um, but every single year I would make sure that I'd saved up enough money to go to country to country for at least one day, if not more. Um, so I was doing an anatomy degree in Liverpool. I then did my master's in Liverpool as well. And while I was doing that, I think it was 2017, I just went to country to country as I ordinarily do. That was the first time that I had gone for the whole weekend. Um, and I just met a bunch of people who seemed to kind of enjoy doing music as well. Part of They weren't a part of the country music scene in terms of UK music, but they enjoyed country music and were musicians. So I kind of got friendly with them. Um, And off the back of that kind of discovered that there was a UK country music scene, because to be honest, before that, it was all about the American stuff for me. That was just kind of what was available, what I'd seen before. Um, And off the back of that, I kind of started discovering that, oh, you know, there are other musicians in the UK that are doing what you might call country music. Um, And discovered, you know, Buckle and Boots and festivals like that that were appearing at the time. and basically, I yeah, became friends with a few artists. And while I was doing my master's degree, I thought, well, I've got a bit of extra time. Or I can just help you. You know, I'm very good at writing emails and things like that. All the logistical stuff that an artist absolutely hates doing, let's yeah. be honest, because it's not the creative side. That was the stuff that I did day to day. So it was very easy. So I thought, oh, well, I can get involved in that. You know, I can email a few venues for you and email a few, you know, PR or a few websites and see if they'll feature you, things like that. And it just kind of grew from there. That was kind of the stem of the interest for the country music scene. Um, And so I finished my master's degree, came down, moved down to Chepstow, which is where I'm based now, um, just over the Welsh border, um, and just kept getting involved in it. So I was doing my science research in the day and then just doing my, you know, the music in the evening. And by the time it got to the end of 2019, I think it was, um, and I thought I've been doing the country thing for a while and I really enjoy the music stuff, but no one's going to take me seriously if I just, you know, email people and say that I'm just this random person. Mm -hmm. Like I I thought if I want to, if I want to engage with more artists and work with other artists, then I need to, it needs to be a little bit more professional than that. Um, And that's kind of where Scarlet River Management came from. 
So I was already managing a couple of artists. So I thought, yeah, I can kind of put something together and, and see what see what happens, really. I just dived into it, to be honest, headfirst. Um, and then obviously lockdown happened. So there was no booking gigs. There was no traveling. There was, you know, none of that. So while I had a load of time, I wasn't technically furloughed, but I wasn't going into the lab very much. So I had a lot of time. So I just decided that I would set up and sort of do some PR because I had... I had experience in doing the PR with managed artists and realized that, you know, for independent artists, hiring a big PR company can be really expensive and sometimes unaffordable. Um, it was like 600 to 700 pounds a month, which for some people that they can do that, yeah, but yeah. they couldn't. So I thought, well, I've got some contacts. I've built up a database and a network with people from the UK and Europe and the States. Maybe I can offer that as a, as a package for independent artists, kind of get them on their way and it's obviously a lot more affordable. Um, and that was kind of how I got into working with, you know, so many artists that I work with today, which I absolutely love. And it's just all stems from there, really. So I'm just, just going with the flow. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. And I think it's so refreshing when it is something that's just kind of snowballed out of a passion. Um, I think it is really inspiring to other people to to see somebody like you, who you were doing your you know your normal day-to-day life but thought actually you know this is what I this is what I love and and have managed to develop that into what it is um today so just as a as a slight aside do you you mentioned that you were involved in the church and stuff um I'm assuming you know I'm imagining like Welsh choirs and and things like that and more hymns and church music as opposed to gospel style music that they have in the states um are you are you a follower of like gospel music as well I mean I absolutely I absolutely love it um is that something that you're interested in or is that just kind of uh, a kind of added bonus if that makes sense yeah to be honest just a bit of everything I I do quite have an I do have quite an eclectic taste of music. I don't just like country music. I'm more of I'm kind of one of those people that I'll either like a song or I won't like a song. Yeah. And I won't say, oh, that's not country song, so I'm not gonna listen to it. Like I, I'll just listen to loads of stuff. Good music's good music, isn't it? Absolutely, one hundred percent. And in terms of the Christian music, I actually listen to a lot of um the modern Christian stuff, which I think does come from the States. So like Hillsong and Bethel um church, they've got tons. There is one in London as well. Um so that kind of stuff. And then, of course, you know, the hymns do come into that. And yes. people kind of modernise the hymns and things like that as well. Um, so, yeah, I kind of like a bit of everything. I always loved the idea of a gospel church, though, and going to one of those. <laughs> Maybe I'll get there one day. Um, but, yeah, my um, my church pastor was um, used to be in rock bands when he was younger. He used to be a part of, like, Hot Chocolate and OMD. Oh, wow. um, so he has a lot of kind of music knowledge and things like that. So he was always trying to you know funky up the songs <laughs> yeah yeah and I think it is um songwriting and storytelling whether it's country whether it's gospel whatever that story is that they're trying to communicate it's it's the way that it's done that I think appeals to so many people isn't it and I think regardless of what your particular um you know religious preferences are or whatever if you're being told a story you kind of engage with that with that story and it's it's how the lyrics come across uh, as well as the melody um I mean that's what I I love about country music um primarily is the storytelling oh absolutely and I mean even songs like um you know songs from the rascal flats he ain't the leaving kind for example is a Christian song Mm. but you can take that in any way that you want I think that's what that's what I love about storytelling and country music in particular I mean it does happen across other genres too but the authenticity of the lyrical content and it usually comes from past experiences and the way that they write it is so clever sometimes that as a listener you can take you can make it relatable to mm. how it's do you like you listen to it and the way that I interpret a song might be different to the way that you interpret yes. the exact same song and that's what I love about that as well is that you can just yeah you kind of you can listen to it and kind of really engage and, and you can hear what you want to hear in it can't yeah. you I think you can like you say um relate it to whatever is going on in your life or whatever at, at that time um and I think that is what makes such a great appeal for so many so many different people um so going back to your your job talk us through the different 
aspects of what you do. So you said you you do a bit of PR. What does that entail? If I was an artist, which thank, thankfully for everybody concerned, <laughs> I'm not. Um, if I came to you and I said, Rachel, look, help me with all, all aspects, what would you do? Okay, so for the PR stuff, I've kind of started um, working with artists predominantly not not all the time but predominantly with artists that have up and coming releases so that kind of start, stems from you know I so it includes doing maybe writing up an EPK if they don't have one or making sure that they've got everything that they need in one place for for approaching um companies for for features and things like that um I'll usually write the press release um I'll ask them for, obviously for the artwork for the mp3 for the wav files um ask them for a few quotes about it so when I write my press releases I like it to come from the artist as well not just a third party yeah. saying you know you should listen to this song I want it to be a bit more you know in depth than that so I often speak to the artist about how they came up with the song you know where what the influences are from from a lyrical and a musical perspective um and I'll send those out to a database um for interviews for features for reviews um I'll also help them with radio play when it comes to it so some artists like radio play quite early on so they can build up exposure and interest some people like it to be right at the end um you know maybe have an exclusive with the radio station and then move forward with that um so do that as well and then after we kind of we'll look at pushing the song on social media and then maybe Spotify playlisting and things like that. So I try and that's kind of the basic rundown of the PR. And then based on what the artist wants, we will modify that. Um, and it will look different for every artist based on how they define success, I think, because, you know, some people will define success by Spotify streaming. Some people will want to chart. Some people will just want to reach as many people as possible. So it's about having those initial conversations and making sure that we're all on the right track and, their definition of success is met I think I think that's really important isn't it because if you're you know you're representing them and you're trying to communicate their feelings and their vision and everything so everybody is different so like you say to get the different um the different things that are important for each individual artist is is vital and I think they will obviously appreciate that and appreciate that you're taking their voice and getting it to the places that that they want it to go um so you've mentioned Spotify playlisting I mean how does that work how do you how do you go about trying to get a song on Spotify it is or so on a Spotify playlist because obviously yeah it's really difficult these days I mean in terms of editorial playlists that all comes down to Spotify for artists so most um most artists, unless they it's a debut single, they'll already have a Spotify account, so they can claim that as their own and have access to all the you know the databases and the statistics. For example, when a song um, gets put uploaded to the distribution company, um, whoever they might use, um, it will then go on to Spotify, um, and you'll get a notification to say that it's up and it can be submitted to an editorial playlist. Um, and I was actually on a clubhouse chat the other day and they were saying that you need four to six months, four to six weeks um, prior to the release to submit this to editorial playlisting. Okay. So it increases your chances of getting to the top of the list for the editorials to listen to it and decide whether they want to put on a playlist when it gets um, basically when it gets released. So in terms of editorial playlists, it's a lot down to, whether they like it or not. There's not an awful lot else you can do, unfortunately, with that. Um, you can find emails for these people online, but they will tell you they don't they don't take stuff like that. Um, in terms of other Spotify playlists, you can make net you can network with people and make connections with people who do have um Spotify playlists, which can be quite useful. Um, and then there's actually quite a lot of stuff online um, that you can find where you can upload a Spotify track um, and then submit it to playlists. So a lot of if somebody has a Spotify playlist with over 100 followers um, then they can be added to a specific website for example and you can submit through that website to them um, so it's it's not an editorial playlist it's an active individual um, but they have a playlist that is revolving it's changing all the time and they can decide whether that song fits the playlist or not um, so those can be really helpful um, and hopefully I think it's all about the traction right at the beginning um, it's all to do with algorithms and things like that that I don't necessarily understand, you know, scientifically. But 
when the song gets uploaded i think the first few days are quite important um and the more people that listen and the more playlists that a song gets added to the more chance it has for getting on other things so when we released one of charlotte's um charlotte young's tracks for example it got onto the release radar um so it was heard by a lot of people for a few days yeah. um so it's yeah just all about that i mean i think it's very hit and miss <laughs> um but that's kind of how i i go about it at the moment and you mentioned obviously networking is is important where do you you know where do you do your networking with people for things like Spotify playlists because it's such a digital thing obviously you've mentioned um and I know you use Clubhouse is that is that working well has that been um useful for you so far and other than Clubhouse how do you find these people um for me I don't want to give away all your trade secrets (laughs) that's all right I mean for me Clubhouse has been surprisingly useful when I first downloaded it I genuinely had no idea what I was doing and I thought it was a bit ridiculous I was like yeah I was like oh I just go into this chat and I listen to some people chatting about whatever and I thought I don't really understand it but then I started to kind of have a look have a think about okay well what do I want to use Clubhouse for um and a lot of people were saying that they were using it for networking and they'd had a lot of success at meeting individuals and from companies and things like that. So I started to do a bit more research and be a bit more strategic about which, you know, where I put my time and which yeah. where I went to. Um, so, for example, the Songwriting Academy do some absolutely fantastic um, clubhouse meetings. Um, definitely someone to fo- uh, a club to join or, or follow. Um, and they've done some really good ones with, you know, Grammy Award nominated songwriters and things like that. And you can um, so you when you join, you're a part of the audience, but you can then kind of like virtually raise your hand to come onto the stage and have a chat um, and ask yeah. a question. So there was one that I went into that was just for networking um, and there were hundreds of people in there and they came from you know a plethora of backgrounds but you could just introduce yourself and say what you do and then people who were interested or thought that what you do was quite relevant to what they do they could just follow you and so I think a lot of people that's working quite nicely for me I'm quite enjoying that Um, and I actually had a record label email me and they were like oh we saw you on Clubhouse and we'd like to have a chat so I've got a meeting with them at some point um so I thought that was quite cool and I'm still getting my head around it but that's been quite useful. That's very connected to Instagram, from what I can tell. Mm. A lot of people then follow you on Instagram to have a conversation. Um, so I'm using that as well. Um, I'm finding LinkedIn can be useful, but in all honesty, I don't really know how it works that much. Mm. Um, but most of my networking has come from just meeting people. Um, I know it's not been a possibility for the last year or so to actually you know, actively go meet people. But when I first started, it was just about going to the festivals, you know, even just as a fan and networking with the organizers or going to say hello to the artists I really enjoyed or, um, you know, and using social media to advantage, you definitely can, you know, you can tag those people, you can tag those companies um, and then they notice who you are, for example. Um, so I've done that a lot. When we went to Nashville, that's all I did. Mm. Um, and that's how I met Kyle Elliott, for example, somebody that I work with now. I He was just performing on a songwriter's round and then sat next to me on the table. And that was yeah. that, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's, a lot of networking I've found has definitely been an in-person thing. Um, but during lockdown, I think people have been a lot more open to just having a conversation, yes. um, which has been great. And I use Twitter. I use Twitter a lot um, just to have a chat with people um, and just getting involved in conversations. Mm. You know, even if you don't know those people, just adding a comment here and there or just saying something like that, I think yeah just being around yeah. is what I do and when you um when you are working on behalf of your artists who sort of which social media platform is kind of your go-to go-to one or again does it depend on what you're trying to do because I know from the festival point of view um obviously Instagram is quite it's quite powerful when we've got images and stuff to upload but doesn't convert tickets as well as Facebook for example um and I think it's probably because a we've got a slightly more mature audience who are more comfortable with with Facebook um and we can put I I think the I think information is possibly more easily accessible on Facebook because you see the picture but also at the same time you see the the blurb about the picture whereas on Instagram you know you have to click on the picture and then and then find the the blurb and and whatever. So whether that's it, I'm not sure. And and Twitter, 
again, it's nice to have, we've, we've got Twitter and it's nice to have it as a, um, as a way of engaging with people and meeting people. And we've met some great people via Twitter. However, again, it doesn't convert to sales in the same yeah. way that Facebook does. Do you have a sort of preferred um, MO if you're working on a release for an artist, for example? Yeah, I try and I try and use them all because like you say, there are different people on different ones. And I think it's sometimes it feels like you're relaying the same information all the time and you're all being very repetitive. But then you also have to remember that the people that follow you on Instagram necess- don't necessarily follow you on Facebook and things like that. Yeah. I find that I get most engagement on Twitter, I believe. Um, but like you say, when you have a photo that's really engaging, Instagram is the one. But sometimes you get you can get loads of likes on an Instagram post but that's just because they think the, the photo is pretty like there's there's no, nothing other than that especially when you scroll through Instagram you know you have to have something that's eye-catching otherwise it just gets lost um so I think I've been using I've just started a new Facebook group um called the Scarlet River Hub and I'm trying to use that I'm not using that to promote music, really. I'm using it to just engage in conversation with people about things of the music business and the industry um, that's different. So I'm hoping that that's going to kind of work um, and provide a good place for people to network, not just me, just people in general in the music industry. Um, But I think, yeah, I think Twitter is is working well nicely for me at the moment, but we shall see. (laughs) Good. And which what bit of your job excites you the most? You know, is it finding new artists or, um, you know, getting them signing on the dotted line and wanting your services, not because of the money, but just because it's obviously, it's a confidence thing, isn't it? Um, and to know that you're doing a good job or is it, I don't know, making sure that they've got on X amount of Spotify playlists or what have you, what, what bit excites you the most? I think two aspects, um, the first is is working with new people all the time. That's been a, a huge added bonus for the PR. I love the management. I, I love working closely with artists. But with the PR, I get to work with different artists all the time. So I get to work with at least one new artist every month, if not two or three. Um, and I love that because they can be artists that I've followed for a really long time and just been fans of. And then they want to work with me. I'm like, yes, I get to promote your music. Um, or they can be people that I've never heard of, which is super cool because then I get to help an artist you know get into the music industry and make a name for themselves in country music or at least introduce them to the UK country music scene you know when they don't haven't got anything out there and I really enjoy that too and so that's definitely the first thing and I think the second thing is when an artist feels that they've succeeded that is awesome like I remember I was working with a guy called Ben Selleck on his debut single so he didn't have anything out he didn't have any experience of any of this and the first time he got played on a radio station he just messaged me and was like oh my gosh like I've heard myself on a radio station it's so cool and just to see the artist super excited just makes me feel so good um so I think those two things for sure and so you mentioned that um helping artists who don't necessarily have a presence here in the UK and you've got good connections over in in Europe haven't you how did that all come about again is that just through networking what what was the story Um, behind that there's a couple of things so when I was um through managing a couple of artists I I got to know a company in Italy um, and they have a radio station, um, but they also were involved in a festival. So that was kind of where that connection came from. When I was in Nashville, I met a guy called Tony Olson, um, but he happened, so he was American um, and we met him there, but he happened to be working with a guy called Daniel Borge, who was in Nashville at the same time. And and Daniel's from Norway. Right. Um, so off the back of that, I kind of just became friends with him and then he was like oh I've got a few friends that actually help do a little bit of PR and some promotion promoting over in Norway so that kind of that yeah that kind of happened um and then when I went to God, I think it was then Germany kind of I think Germany just came out of nowhere I just did some research and found out that there was this festival in Germany mm. um, and obviously with C2C now you know driving into the European market as well that kind of helps with the connections but I didn't just it was interesting because I didn't realize that country music was actually as big as it is in Europe I don't yeah. think people I will I wasn't aware of it anyway I didn't really know that it was as big as it is it's still a little bit towards the traditional side I think it's a, a few years like we are a few years behind America they're like a few years behind the UK yeah um 
And but that was really cool to discover that there's actually a lot of interest for this. When I went to Italy to this festival um, called Vergara Festival, and it was basically it was a weekend country music, but also a European competition for line dancing. Amazing. So like people, so line dancing crews from all over Europe came to this festival to compete, and it was like the coolest experience because <laughs> I didn't. You know, and they were line dancing to the traditional stuff, but also to some really modern songs that I didn't even know you could do. So basically, apparently, as long as it's got a, I think it's a 4-4 beat, yeah. um, then they can line dance to it. It doesn't yeah. matter. Um, but that was just a really interesting experience. And it was um, Gord Bamford, I think, who's a Canadian, a really big Canadian country artist. He was the guy that headlined that year. Um, and I think Lewis Bryce is headlining this year. Um but that's kind of where it all stemmed from. It's kind of meeting one person who introduces you to another person. It's that's what I love about the country music scene, actually, in general, is that people are just so willing to help. Yes. Yeah, you know, that. they are happy to introduce you to somebody or give you some advice on where to go if you're looking for something specific. It's never yeah. it's never like, oh, I can't tell you. It's a secret. Like, that's my thing. Nobody ever does that. And I actually adore that. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. And I know there have been a lot of times that I've been panicking about something and I've rung up Carl from Buckingham Boots or um, Gavin from Millport or, or um, you know, Peter from Nashville Meets London gone, help me, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and they will help me. There's no question of, oh, well, I can't really tell her that because, you know, she's in competition with with our festival. Yeah. It's like, okay, calm down, Georgie. You need to just do this, call so-and-so. And, and it's sort of sorted and... And when you do a lot of stuff on your own, um, to be able to have those people to pick up the phone to and say, please help, <laughs> especially when, you know, I'm, I don't like to say I'm winging it all the time, but there's a large <laughs> proportion of the time that I'm winging it. So, um, yeah, having that backup is, is great. And I love, I love that about, about country music. Um, so what sort of, what drives you to progress Scarlet River management where do you see it going or where would you ideally like it to go in the future so in all honesty I have this, I have this ultimate four or five year plan yeah whether this is crazy or what it's fine it works for me right now anyway yeah. but I would love to get to a point where so because I do I'm doing a PhD at the moment in neuroscience there's a massive um so there's a medical university called Vanderbilt in Nashville yeah I would love to work there and then take my management company to Nashville, but also still keep the connections in England. Yeah. So that's kind of like what I would like to do. Cause I would love to live in Franklin. That's like when I went to Nashville, Franklin was my favorite place. So just South. We're, um, we're going to get into that in more oh, detail. <laughs> yeah, we will. Um, but that's kind of like, that's always been my like four or five year plan at the moment. Um, but to be honest, in terms of short term goals, I just always want to be working with new artists building more connections because I think if I can build my you know PR contacts database or my radio contacts database for example in the UK as well as Europe and abroad and you know further afield then I can offer more to the artist and that's all that matters to me is that I can offer more to the artist because then they can progress the way that they want to um and that's it to be honest in terms of a short-term goal is just to keep doing that and it, to keep enjoying it because yeah. if it's not enjoyable then what do you do? You know, it's, exactly. it's kind of, you have to really love what you do. Um, and so I that's think, kind of, yeah. I think sometimes you do actually need to take a step back and go, hold on, this is, this is supposed to be enjoyable. This is, this is my spare time that I'm doing this in. Um, this was my passion. Um, I know the first year of Dixie Fields, I, I was working full time. I also have another job as a reflexologist and I've got two horses and a dog and I was trying to run the festival and it got to the point that I just did not want to listen to any more country music whatsoever because I was just so stressed out about the whole thing and then I was like no this is this is wrong because I'm doing it because I love it so to lose that um that passion for it I was like no this I'm, I'm doing something wrong here so I had to have a bit of a chat with myself um yeah a couple of weeks off had a chat with myself and I was like no listen to that listen to the music that that you like you know I went back and I listened to some John Denver and 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 Dixie Chicks and all of the songs that I really love listening to I love singing along to and that got me into country music in the first place um but now it is I am very conscious that this is my passion this is what I want to do as well as trying to build it into a career um and and I can't 
I can't lose that enjoyment from yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. I think so, you're right. Sometimes you have to take a step back and almost go back to basics and mm. kind of remind yourself, like, why did I start this in the first place? What am I trying to achieve? Yeah. Why do I want to do it? And sometimes that can be quite difficult because when you're first starting something off, you know, you want to spend more time on it, but you might have another job and you have to kind of figure out, you know, where do I want to go with it? And what do I need to kind of, what do I need to let go? And what do I need to add in order to get where I want to go? Um, so definitely, yeah, taking that time to, and also appreciate the small successes as well as the big ones. Mm. I think a lot of us get caught up in just celebrating when the big things go right. Yeah. And forgetting that like there are these tiny little things that are going right too, that you have to remember. Like sometimes it's getting to the end of the day, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and checking off your to-do list or something like that, which what, what else... that feel like? I don't think I ever managed to. <laughs> well, to be honest, no, that's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just, you know, little things like yeah. that, I think that definitely remind you why you're doing something and, yeah. and make you feel good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you are ambitious and when you do want to progress in something, it is very easy to sort of dismiss those small things and go, oh yeah, but you know, that only got 10 likes on Facebook or whatever, whatever it might be. But actually 10 people have liked that because you've given them something, something to like. And that's 10 people that have discovered whatever it was you, you were posting about in the first place. So they are, whilst they might seem small wins in the whole great scheme of things for, for you, for other people, actually, that's a new artist you've just introduced them to or, or whatever. And that's quite a big, a big deal because then they can go off and they can discover more about it and stuff. So it's, it's perception as well. And from, from whose point of view are you looking at that? And are you dismissing that as a, as a small thing? Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's really important. Um, so country music in the UK you touched briefly on it um to start with and about this whole UK country scene that you never knew was there and now it sort of seems to be seems to be exploding which is fantastic obviously do you think what can you see as the future of of country in the UK and what do you think the most pressing issues are in in your in your opinion, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to hold you to this at all. Yeah. Um, but what can you see are the biggest issues that need to be overcome in order to develop it as as they have in the States? Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, in terms of it progressing, I think it is progressing and it has. I mean, cons- if you look, take a look back at four or five years ago, there might have been a UK country music scene, but it definitely wasn't exposed to more of a global fan base, you know, compared to what it is now. And every single year there is a new festival popping up dedicated to celebrating country music, folk music, roots music, you know, everything within that kind of genre, so to speak, um, which is awesome because, you know, over the past couple of years, I mean, obviously Dixie Fields, Tennessee Fields has, has popped up and the Blackpool British Country Music Festival and Black Deer, like all of these festivals around the UK and not just, you know, in the hubs of country music, which I would probably say are maybe Manchester, London and potentially Birmingham or something like that, you know, in these big cities. But now, you know, it's all around the UK, you know, stretching up into Scotland, into Wales, like all of all of the UK is kind of adopting it, which is really, really cool. Um, And I think even when you have conversations with people nowadays, there, you know, I've had conversations with people at work and I say, oh, yeah, I work with country musicians and they kind of look at me a bit funny and they're not like, oh, what is country music? And, yeah. you know, why do you work with country music? Because they, some people still think that it's the very traditional, you know, Dolly Parton's Johnny Cash's and we all love those. But, yeah. you know, there's it's a lot more open space than that now. Um, but I think it's a difficult one because I do think that the US artists migrating into the UK is helping because they get played... I know that the UK artists should get more play and, and things like that, but, you know, that's something, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. But, you know, when the US, because the US artists are coming over and people are engaging with that, and then, you know, US artists are collaborating with pop artists and, you know, then there's the debate of, is it country, is it pop, whatever. But 
that artist comes from a country music background, then people are introduced to the more modern styles of country. So then they understand that that is a thing and that country is modernizing just as every other genre does with the times. And then hopefully, you know, with these US artists coming in and having UK artists support or being a part of these festivals like Tennessee Fields and um, Buckle and Boots, they have, they might have US artists there and which might pull in people, but then they are, introduced to a whole bunch of really Mm. talented UK artists as well so I do think that that's a really nice kind of combination and and collection of you know talent coming together I really like that Mm. um in terms of challenges I was having this conversation the other day with someone and mentioning that the word country can sometimes be a turnoff to artists Mm. and or not to artists, sorry, to, to the general public listening to radio. Yeah. Um, and how do we change that perception? Um, and that's a really good question, and I don't quite know the answer yet. Um, but I was having a conversation and tried to open up that in one of the Facebook groups to kind of see what country fans thought about it. Um, because I think if we can get to a point where the word country isn't scary to people or they don't automatically think, oh, because country's in front of the name, the music doesn't is not very good or it won't fit on mainstream radio. If we can get away from that, then it just opens up an opportunity for mm. other people. And I was listening to a podcast um, with Cam yeah. yesterday, actually, and she was talking about, so she was obviously talking about the problem of women on radio. Yeah. Um, but she was also talking about the struggles of artists getting on the radio in the first place. So regardless of gender, regardless of ethnicity, for example, we just need to get to a place where everybody has equal opportunity. And if a song is good, then it deserves to be pushed and exposed and promoted regardless of where it's come from. I would love to do, and I apologize to any listeners of this podcast that have heard me droning on about this before, but I would (laughs) love to do some sort of almost a masked singer style thing because we have some absolutely fantastic artists over here in the UK but there seems to be such a stigma against you know UK country and what have you from some people they don't give them a chance and they've written them off before they've even had a chance to listen to their music and half the time you wouldn't there's you would not be able to tell whether it was an American artist or an English artist you're just going on the music and I'd love to do that just to prove that there there isn't this huge disparity that people that people Mm -hmm. think there is and and I agree and I got into country music through American artists and for me it is very much um sort of an aspirational thing and I it just transports me to a, a a different place and I think and there's various songs in particular that do it so for example Cowboy Take Me Away by the Ticks like I just feel like I'm in the I don't know the prairie somewhere in the middle of nowhere <laughs> next to a campfire you know and it really does take me out of my everyday world and that's what I absolutely love so I I probably have been um guilty of this in the past that when it's oh it's a UK it's a UK thing it's not going to be so good but actually the more I've learned about UK country music um and the more I've listened to it they're absolutely brilliant and there there isn't any there isn't any difference and if you just block off the fact that they might be you know they might have written it because they're sitting on the beach in Skegness or something (laughs) you know (laughs) you can relate it to whatever you want to relate it to like we've said said previously so I'd love to do some sort of anonymous sing-off or or what have you that would be super awesome I do think that one one thing I will bring up that might you know might cause a bit of controversy but I think that when you listen to artists live they might sound absolutely incredible Mm. but some artists don't replicate that when it's recorded yeah and forget that and I understand I know that recording costs can be through the roof I totally get it but one thing that does 
bother me sometimes is that an artist could be as good as some of the American stuff, but when an art when a person is introduced to their music, it might not be through yeah. a live show. And so your production and your mixing and mastering has to be as good as that, especially yeah. to get on mainstream radio. Yeah. And sometimes uh, that link is not quite there. No, I absolutely um, agree. And I think um speaking with my BCMA board member hat on as well, um, yeah. that's definitely something that we are conscious of to try and try and help UK artists. Um mm to have access to that higher level of, of production. Um, but like you say, it's, it lets, it lets them down. And for the festival, when we open our artist submissions, we had, I don't know, 120 submissions last year for competing for probably, I don't know, six slots or something because I've already got the other people. Um, now if that, if the link for the song that they're sending me, they're, they're applying with, if that goes to a rubbish version of whatever song it is, that's it. I'm, I'm done. I'm switched off. Or like say, you know, not having everything all in the same place and not giving the information that I need to have. Yeah. When I'm sitting there and trawling through 120 new artists with new songs, if it's not good quality, uh, why would I want to put it on at my festival? Um, well, yeah, absolutely. And why, um, with my radio hat on, if it's mm-hmm. not good enough quality, why would I want to play it on my radio show in between the likes of Cam and Josh Turner yeah. or whatever it might be? Um, because I take pride in my work and I take pride in the music that I put on at the festival and on and on the show. And... I, although I do want to support UK artists, absolutely, 100%. And I guess, you know, this goes for where, wherever they come from. Um, but if they're not providing me with the music that is of good enough quality, the production that is of good enough quality, then it reflects badly on me and I'm just not going to not going to use it. So I think that's a really, really good point. Um, and hopefully over the next few years, we'll be able to to help lots of UK artists with that, to sort of raise their game and and give them ways to do it that isn't going to break the bank. Because I appreciate if you're a young artist or you're just starting out, you don't. You, this is your passion as well. And you don't have a lot of money to to put behind behind it. Um, okay, so moving on to the second part of the podcast, which is of course where we talk about Nashville and Tennessee. When did you first go to Nashville? Was it work? Was it pleasure? It was work slash pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> I've been twice. Um, first time was 2018 and then I went 2019. Um, the first time, yeah, it was kind of one of those things where you go there to kind of see the sites, but try and find networking opportunities, yeah. basically kind of what it was and I had met a couple of people um when Dylan Schneider I think it was was here in the UK I met his management company his record label so when I went out I was able to go and have coffee with them for example and just kind of learn a bit more about how Nashville works and and how the music scene works there and I mean you can get in an Uber can't you in in Nashville and it'll be somebody famous or someone who knows somebody famous. It's crazy. Like everybody's there doing the same thing. It's awesome. Um, and we also went out there to do some recording um, in a studio in Franklin. It was Sound Kitchen with a guy called Billy Smiley, who has got like a lot of um, Dove nominations um, for his Christian rock music. Um, so we worked with him. So that was kind of the first time. And then because I'd met quite a lot of people that year, when I went back, I was then able to kind of, reinforce those networking opportunities and connections and I just, so it's, it's difficult I would like to go there and just have a holiday in all honesty um but it's really difficult to not yes. <laughs> you know yeah. to not get stuck into the to the business side of things so yeah been a couple of times and definitely on my to-do list to go back yeah and what what were your first impressions when you got there was it was it as you expected oh well so I guess yes and no because People always talk about Broadway, for example, and that you can go down this mile long high street and on every corner there is 
a restaurant or a bar playing new music on every single level that it has and and all that sort of stuff so that was kind of what I was expecting it was a lot louder than I was expecting but it was pretty awesome but at the same time what I wasn't expecting was that you could go down a side street off Broadway and find the quaintest little songwriter's room you know Mm. which was just silent and listening to songwriters who had written these big hits that you wouldn't know if they walked down the street that's what I loved about it that contrast yeah um and then what I also loved was that you could just drive 15-20 minutes out and you were just in the countryside yeah I loved that yeah so so you obviously did go further afield where where did you go what did you see so we were um so I was in Old Hickory um which is about 25 minutes north um, so I had a friend who's a songwriter. Um, she let us stay um, in her house, which was awesome. Um, so I stayed there, hired a car, and so traveled kind of in and out of Nashville and in and around um, Franklin, which is one of my favorite spots, I think. Um, I just loved how small the town was, and it just had these really nice places to eat, lots of good music, you know, things like that. So that was kind of, in terms of Tennessee, those are probably the only places that I've properly been to Mm. um but it was yeah it was just super lovely to see the contrast and everything and based on what you wanted to see I love a bit of nature so just going out and finding you know a huge lake to walk around for example was just as cool as going to the bluebird you know so I've um I've been to Nashville uh twice now I think two or three times twice I think Mm. having a blonde moment there (laughs) um but I've only done Nashville itself so I haven't kind of been further afield and having done all of these podcasts my bucket list of things to do is just growing every other week and uh, yeah yeah, I just want to go and explore and like we've had some really great recommendations for state parks and places to go camping and stuff like that and to go down to Franklin I'd love to do that and and there's just so much to see and I think that's one of the reasons that I started the podcast in the first place because you know, it's such America in, uh, as a whole is such an enormous place that just Nashville itself is such a tiny drop in the ocean that's America, but also it's just such a tiny drop in Tennessee. Yeah. Um, and there's such a huge variety, you know, you don't have to go very far and you get into the mountains and, or you can go and find a waterfall in a state park and, and stuff. And I absolutely love that. So I'm desperate to go back as soon as we, as soon as we're allowed again. Um, oh, me too. So what what was your experience like actually kind of working in Nashville? Is it, when you were doing your networking and stuff, is it very much like you do over here? Um, yeah, I think so. But it's just a bit, it's a bit faster paced. Yeah. So if you miss on an opportunity, then it's very difficult to get the opportunity again. But at yeah. the same time, you might not have the opportunity and then it arises and you just take it. So I remember going to Belcourt Taps to watch songwriters round. Um, and that's where I met Kyle Elliott and Tyler Bank, who are a couple of national songwriters. And I remember talking to Tyler and we were trying to set up a co-write um, with a few of the people I was with. And he was like, I'm completely booked like this whole, this whole week. Like I'm just writing all the time. So I'm really sorry. Like we're not going to be able to meet up. Mm. And then a few days later, he was like, oh, somebody's canceled. Like, do you want this spot? And we just went to his house and had a chat, you know, and, and did some co-writing and it was super cool. But it was just like, you had to take that opportunity. Otherwise yeah. you wouldn't get it again. Yeah. Um, but I just loved, yeah, being able to, you know, when we met Tony, we met Tony through somebody else. He was like, oh, you should go meet this guy. So we went and met this guy for a coffee. And then he was like, oh, I'm performing at a right tonight. You should come there. And then he was like, oh, if you come to this place the day after, then you can meet Daniel and all my Norwegian friends. And so it's very quick. You don't kind of, some of the stuff you don't plan to go do, it just kind of happens. Yeah. Um, and it was the same when I went and met um, the guys from Cold River Records, um, which I'm not sure exists now. Um, but at the time, you know, I just sent her an email. I was like, I'm in Nashville, like, are you free? And she was like, yeah, I'm free tomorrow morning. Meet me here. And and it was at Belmont, Belmont Uni, I think. Mm. Um, the music one anyway. Um, and so I just met her for coffee and we just had a chat about things. And then she said, oh, you should go meet this person. You should go to this place. You know, it, just things like that. It was just everything. Everyone is so willing to help. Um, And I remember having a conversation with a few of the songwriters there and kind of saying, you know, you guys help each other so much. Like, 
what's the vibe like how does this all work and they were saying well if you think about it you know if you help people and you write with people if they succeed you succeed because you get and and if one person ends up a little higher on the food chain in terms of songwriting then they bring you with them because you supported them the whole way yeah I just love that um so that's kind of yeah that was my business experience yeah And what would your recommendations be for somebody who's heading over to Nashville and Tennessee um, for the first time? What would you say, you know, if they were going for a week, what are the things that they really should do? Oh, that's, yeah, there's loads of things. (laughs) Um, I think you have to to experience Broadway just because of what it is. You know, it's so known. Um, And there you can choose what you want to do. There's some great places to eat. Highly recommend Acme. Um, because I ate way too much processed food in yeah. Nashville and put on a lot of weight, <laughs> um, which is very easy to do. Um, but Acme did some really good authentic food. Um, and that's right by the river on Broadway. So I love that place. Um, you have to do the listening room. That's just yeah. such a different experience, you know, going somewhere to just see these songwriters perform some of the hit songs that they do in such a nice environment. Like that is awesome. I love that. Um, a third one I think it would be good to Franklin because I'm hugely biased <laughs> love it biased but yeah biased you good. gotta go there I just yeah. loved it yeah I I um I agree about the listening room and it's just it just seems so random it's just like mm-hmm. there on a corner like you would just never expect yeah what goes on inside to be going on inside a building that looks like that so yeah. I think it was when I went um couple of years ago it just yeah it was completely unexpected and I was like oh wow this is yeah. this is amazing and I think a lot of um Nashville is like that and you've got some really um different old bars and old buildings yeah. and you go in and it's just like a TARDIS you're like how how is this here <laughs> when it looks like that outside yeah. um which I, th- I I love that and I think it's it's so it's just so different from over here you know over here everything's all about the aesthetic of the outside and trying Mm. to draw people in when actually in Nashville it's the music that draws people in it doesn't matter if it's just a brick wall outside because yeah definitely and I think with uh, the listening room you don't have to know any of the people on that night you can just go any night and guarantee like it'll be awesome yeah you know because standard is so high um that's super awesome one other place if you're looking for a bit of a a bit more of an upbeat party is I think it's called winners yeah um yeah that is great I went in there and Colson Dell was in there when I lived for food um that's another thing you just bump into random people I went to see um Chris Young play yeah um and he was being supported by Morgan Evans and so Morgan Evans brought on Kelsey Ballerini obviously yeah. and then Kane Brown performed and then um Chris Young brought on Brad Paisley and Cassidy Pope yeah because they he was just like, oh, they were just home for the weekend. So I thought I'd bring them on. Like, I love that. <laughs> I love that. And I love the fact that they're still willing to do it on their weekend off away uh-huh. with their mates and they just want to go and, you know, yeah. hang out and jam with their friends. Um, I think that's a that's a great vibe. Um, and and it is great to know that they they still enjoy it to that to that extent as well. Um so do you see any UK artists breaking into the US? in any time soon what are your thoughts on that I think there's potential for it to happen for sure yeah um but it's difficult because you don't want to because the UK country music scene is so unique in that when when you go over to the US as a UK artist they love that so I think if a UK artist is going to break it you want to break it as a UK artist mm. not a UK artist who's going to try and be an American one because then you just become part of the American market I think yeah I and really you're using want the USP then really aren't you yeah and, and you are a UK artist like use it be proud of that and, mm. and write songs that illustrate that you know don't write about things that you don't experience as a UK artist you know unfortunately we can't write about difference it's just we don't have them you know things like that and so I do think there is some insane talent in the UK and we have they definitely like I think in the next few years it will happen yeah it's just about 
yeah, working hard, making sure the production grows, raising awareness of UK country music in the UK, because I think if it does that, then we can start to do that in the yes. US. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah. sort of sticking on along those lines, who would be your top UK artist to watch who's possibly a little bit underexposed, who maybe you've just discovered during lockdown mm-hmm. or, or whatever? Oh, man, there's quite a few people that okay so a uk country music fan base probably already knows of like catsy girl and tim Roy jones but those are two for me yeah. who i think have the potential to do that because yeah. their production is amazing they're incredibly talented songwriters yeah. and artists and they yeah. work their socks off so yeah. definitely those two one artist that i did work with during lockdown who is on the cusp of country and pop some of her releases are definitely pop and some of them are like modern country is someone called Laura Beckwith yeah um and she's only released one song I think in the country market and her sync song that just came out was pop but I think if she does any more that are of the country vibe then she's one to watch because it is awesome her the way that she she records like the way that her music is produced is really cool mm. um and she's really young like, I think she was younger than I thought she was, like, and she works really hard. So I think she's one that could definitely, like, if she decided to do any more in the country music scene, she'd definitely want to watch for sure. Um, I have a huge soft spot for Maraid. Okay. Ma- a massive spot, soft spot for Maraid. Um, so I think maybe I'll say those two. Okay. But there's so many. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> And I think that has been a really positive thing, actually, about the lockdown is that, we have all discovered a lot more artists that we wouldn't necessarily have have listened to because we haven't had anything else to do really so um and and we've had these online festivals and live streams and things like that which has been really great for for everybody i think so who would be your top us artist to watch again who's a bit unexposed who you know you might just have recently discovered oh so I love my, one of my all-time favorite artists at the moment is someone called Garrett Jacobs. Okay. Um, he's 20, I think. He's released about six singles over the course of a year and a half, two years. Um, his Spotify numbers are great, but he's not that well known at the moment. Yeah. He's really young. But he's fab. I really love his stuff. Um, I think she's already getting a lot of recognition, but Tanel Arts yeah. um, is fantastic. Yeah. Um, her stuff is absolutely incredible. Um, so those two are kind of artists that I'm really rooting to come over to the UK. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see them over here. Okay, so next question. What was what has been your best ever gig that you've been to? Oh, okay, I have two. Okay. And it doesn't have to be country actually. Okay. Just in general. They're definitely country. Okay. <laughs> Just because I think I've been to so many country gigs now. Yeah um Chris Jansen at the Ryman okay this was funny because when I got tickets for Chris Jansen at the Ryman they were a birthday present and I really wasn't that excited because I've never been a massive fan of his stuff Mm. but his live show is another level it was just so high energy you know he was just running around the stage like the music that the way he performs is just incredible like I just enjoyed every single minute of his performance It was more than just singing songs. I love that. Um, and my all-time favorite band is Rascal Flats. I've seen them twice. I'm not sure which one was best. Maybe the one at Country to Country because they also performed with like the band Perry. Yeah. And was on the same lineup. And I think it was Chris Young and Brad Paisley. And I mean. Yeah. What a lineup. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what would be your go-to country road trip song? Oh, man. That's really difficult. I have a lot. This pause could be really long. It's okay. <laughs> we'll pick a couple that you would crank up loud and sing along to as you're cruising along the countryside. Okay, so Garrett Jacobs done holding on. Okay. Is like really punchy, upbeat. Um, I quite like a bit, some of Dylan Scott's stuff. Okay. That's quite cool. Um. There's also a song called 1111, and I really can't remember who sings it, but that is a great song. I know. 
it's a big it's a big artist yeah oh god that's gonna annoy me anyway I shall add that into the uh into the after show notes when I remember (laughs) that um okay so where can people find out about you um if they're an artist and they're interested in getting in touch how can they how can they get hold of you um, so we have a website, which is www.scarletrivermanagement.com. And there's like a contact page on the back, um, on the back, it's like as a book. Um, there's a contact page that you can just, um, set up there. It goes to my emails. Um, I'm really active on social media. So any of the social media platforms, maybe not Twitter. It's funny, isn't it? I use Twitter a lot, but if you DM me on Twitter, I don't find it for ages. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, Scarlet River Management on Instagram and Facebook scar r management on twitter um and then or email just info at scarletrivermanagement.com brilliant well thank you so much rachel it's been absolutely fascinating um and uh, really really appreciate you taking your time out of your evening um to do the podcast oh thank you so much for having me it's been a blast So in my post-production edits, Rachel has recommended uh, heading down to Broadway, of course, to see the see the sights, heading to the listening room in Nashville as well to get the full songwriter songwriters round experience. And for food, she has suggested going down to Acme, which is by the river, not far from Broadway. So it's an absolutely lovely spot. And if you're going to go further afield, then she 100% recommends Franklin. You have been listening to the Tales of Tennessee podcast with me, Georgie T. You can keep up to date with the podcast by following us at talesoftennessee.podbean.com or by following all of our social media channels for the Tennessee Fields Festival. The handle is at TNFieldsFest on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. You can also follow me, Georgie T, on Instagram at the underscore accidental underscore everything. We'd love to hear from you. So don't forget, you can email us at talesoftennessee at yahoo.com. And as always, thanks go to Francis and Archie Ween for providing the jingles for this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee.